Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Let Your Conscience Be Your Guide. Now, here's Bill Almack. We uh, are finishing up our series today um, called The Crazy Things That We Believe. And, you know, halfway through the week, I was torn because I wasn't sure if I should talk about VBS or if I should finish the series. And I already had a sermon written to finish um, the series, but I wanted to talk about VBS. So I rewrote the sermon because, well, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. VBS wasn't going on or anything. And um, we're going to try and do both today. So we should get out about 2 o'clock, so I hope you're ready for that. No. Remember last week. What was the sermon last week? Don't judge. So if the sermon's a train wreck, don't judge. Be kind. Be, be merciful. All right. No, we'll be okay. So um, today the, the, the message, the last message of this series is let your conscience be your guide. We've all heard this, right? How many of you have heard this before, or said this, or had it said to you? Oh, not as many as I thought. Didn't you just watch Pinocchio? Who's watched Pinocchio? All right, then you heard this, right? Let your conscience be your guide, right? And, and at the core of this proverb is this idea that somehow we've got this conscience inside us that can never be wrong. It's like a little moral compass, and it always points to truth. But most of us know that if you have a compass that's supposed to always point to north, it's pretty easy to get it to tell you the wrong thing by holding a magnet next to it, right? And sometimes our conscience can be a little bit off. So we're going to talk about that. Here's one example. One example from the Bible. It's the Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion. What happens on the Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion? He comes riding in to Jerusalem, right? And the crowds are singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're so happy to see their Messiah coming. This is going to be great. We're going to kick these Roman dogs out of here, send them packing, send them home, and Israel's going to rise up to a, a spot of prosperity, and it's going to be great. Look at what John says in John 12. He says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is who? King of Israel. Here comes our king. They're just having a great time. Can you imagine the joy and the jubilation? I mean, a royal wedding doesn't have nothing on this. How many of you got up in the middle of the night to watch the royals get married, right? I know some of you did. Yeah, DVR. They got nothing on this. Man, this was a great celebration. And yet, Friday of that same week, not even a whole week later, what happens? He's arrested. He's taken before the Sanhedrin. And look at what the crowds are saying then. 
But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asks. What do they say? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Wait a minute. Just a few days ago, you were saying he's our king. And now you're yelling he's not. Why didn't their conscience guide them to do the right thing? See, their conscience did guide them. They were following their conscience. Because what their conscience tells them is the true Messiah wouldn't let himself get arrested. Right? The true Messiah who could perform miracles isn't going to let a couple of Roman guards hold him. The true Messiah is not going to be rejected by our religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. Their conscience had been warped. It had been, as the Bible said, and we'll talk about it in a minute, had been seared. And it pointed them in the wrong way. See, sometimes we view our conscience as this, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but this mystical force somehow. And we've got this conscience, and it will always guide us, and it will always tell us right. Paul says in Romans 2, he says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, so people who are not Christians, do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So when you're not a Christian, but you do things that the law says, you love one another, you don't lie, you don't steal, you honor your parents, all these things that the law would require, he says, you're showing that they have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness. See, we do have a conscience. God put it there. And people who aren't Christians have it. People who are Christians have it. And we always assume that anybody who does anything bad is just ignoring that little voice, right? We've all seen the cartoons where, you know, the the good angel and the bad angel. And they whisper things into your ears. And if you do bad, it's because you ignored the good angel and you listened to the bad angel. But sometimes we can get so out of whack that we think we're listening to the good angel when we're not. It's like GPS. You ever followed your GPS and ended up in the wrong spot? You guys remember in 2013, there was a 67-year-old woman in Belgium who followed her GPS the wrong way for 810 miles. Two days. But see, she was listening to the authorities, so she thought everything was okay. But the GPS, for some reason, was, was not the authority. And it got confused. And this can happen to us. And it happened to us on a large scale during World War II in Germany. When Hitler seared the conscience of his nation. Look at this quote from Hitler. It says, I freed Germany from the stupid and degrading fallacies of conscience and morality. 
We will train young people before whom the world will tremble. I want young people capable of violence, imperious, relentless, and cruel. And the whole nation had their conscience seared. And Hitler worked hard to undermine what the church was saying. He didn't want some pastor or some preacher or priest to get up and start renewing the conscience of the people. And he worked very hard to undermine that. And our consciences can be seared. They can be warped. They can be bent out of shape and point us in the wrong direction. It all depends on who we're listening to. The very first verse of Psalms says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. It matters who you listen to. It's telling us, don't hang around with these kind of people, because when you do, you start thinking like they think. You start talking like they talk. You start acting like they act. And you run the risk of ending up as lost as they are. Now, I know for years I've been telling you we've got to go out and we've got to make friends for Jesus. We can't just hang around Christians all the time. So there's a balance there, right? We've got to go out in the world. We've got to meet people. We've got to talk to people. But you've got to be careful who you're hanging out with, who your inner circle of friends is, and who you're allowing to come into your life and influence you. Remember that woman from Belgium that I mentioned earlier, 810 miles off course. She was supposed to go 90 miles north to a train station, She went 810 miles south through five countries. This means five times she got stopped at a border and had to show her passport. Five times the language on the road signs changed. I mean, I think I would notice if all of a sudden the the road signs weren't in English anymore. I think we've taken a wrong turn somewhere. When she finally arrived at this destination where she thought she was going, they asked her what happened. You know what she said? I was distracted. You think? I mean, that's like... I've been distracted before, but for two days... She had to sleep in her car overnight. (laughs) It's amazing. I was distracted. We don't want to be distracted, right? Don't allow yourself to become distracted by other people. And sometimes we think maybe hanging around religious people would be good, right? They're the ones, they got their act together. You know, they're going to heaven. Let's hang around those folks. You've got to be careful there, too. Jesus didn't always have kind words for some of the religious leaders of his time, right? And so you have to evaluate what's going on. You've got to evaluate what I say when I'm up here. Evaluate what pastor says when he's a, not pastor so much. He does a pretty good job. But, you know, when I'm up here, you've really got to check it out and make sure I'm telling you what's right. Because someday you're going to have to stand in front of the Lord Almighty and account for what you did. And you can't say, well, Bill said... You know what he's going to say? Bill was a Yahoo. <laughs> right? You've got to study it for yourself and know what it says. All right? 
Look at what um, Paul says when he wrote to Timothy. He said, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and in order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. Right? He's saying there's going to be good people that tell you the wrong thing. How will you know? Because you read the book yourself and you know what it says. Right? Look at what Paul says at the end of his life. He looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and in all good conscience to this day. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. How did he know his conscience was pointing the right way? The Holy Spirit confirmed it. How did he know the Holy Spirit confirmed it? Because he spent time with God. He spent time with God and he made sure that his compass, his, his conscience was pointed in the right direction. David says it this way. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate it. I meditate on it all the day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How does David know he's doing the right thing? He listened to God. In the scriptures he had written at the time, he said, I followed the laws, I followed the precepts, I spent time with you, I meditate on them. He knows what God is saying, and he's not going to be easily swayed by somebody who comes along and just says something. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't come to church, we shouldn't listen to the sermon, we shouldn't sing the songs, we shouldn't participate in communion. Those things are wonderful. We should do those things. We should do more than those things. We should be spending private time with God. Right? We should be making sure that our conscience is clear and headed the right way. Now, this week at VBS, we kind of talked about the same thing. Our theme was all-stars for Jesus. And we talked about some, some stories there, and I'm just going to go through them super, super quick. Uh, you'll probably recognize most of these stories, and if not, I've put Bible text up there. You can look them up. But I wanted to give the kids a wide variety of stories. So some of these stories are male, female, young, old, some stories they knew, at least one they probably didn't, and talk about what these people did that made them all-stars. And what makes them all-stars... It's the same thing that tells me their consciences were cleared. We'll talk about it. First one was Esther. And, you know, Esther's Bible is Esther. She's got her own book. So 
you want to read the story of Esther, she's, she's, she manages her whole own ten chapters, I think, in her, her book of the Bible. We know the story of Esther. Beautiful, beautiful woman who wins the beauty contest, becomes queen. There's a villain in the story who tries to convince the king the Jews are out to get rid of him. So the king says, we'll kill all the Jews. He doesn't know that his beautiful queen is a Jew. She asks everybody to pray and fast for three days. And she goes in and tells the king what's going on, and the villain gets his, and the Jews are saved. That's the super, super abridged version. Um, but the point of the story is Esther is not only beautiful on the outside, she's beautiful on the inside. Because she's a strong woman who realizes what needs to be done. And she realizes that she needs God. And she asks for three days of prayer and fasting before she goes to talk to the king. Because if you went to the king uninvited and the king wasn't in a good mood, it didn't end well for you, even if you were the beautiful queen. So um, Esther is an all-star, and we see that she takes care of what needs to be taken care of that day. She doesn't start out her life, oh, someday I'm going to be queen, I'm going to rule this place. But it happened. She doesn't put herself in a spot where she needs to go to the king and, and pray to save the, or beg him to save the Jewish people, but she does what needs to be done. The second story was one that they probably don't know, but if you've been around here very long, you know that I love this story, the story of Beniah. Beniah is a great warrior during the King David reign of, of Israel, the heyday, and he's called out as one of the best warriors of Israel. Um, the enemies know that he's a great warrior, and Moab sends two of their best men to take care of him, and he dispatches them. Egypt sends a guy that's somewhere between seven and nine feet tall with a six-foot spear, and uh, Benaiah takes his spear from him and kills him with his own spear. Now, that's, that's just embarrassing as a warrior. You know, when somebody takes your weapon from you and kills you with your own weapon, that's just bad. He also jumps down into a pit on a snowy day and kills the lion. The lion was probably a threat to some village or town nearby. And Benaiah goes on to do great things. He becomes the, the captain of the bodyguard for King David. And he single-handedly stops a coup against the king. He later becomes the captain of the army. And after a great victory, he gets up front and leads the whole assembly in worship. This guy was a great warrior and a worship leader. It just doesn't get any better than this. And so uh, he just is a great guy. But again, he's just a guy who did what he needed to do that day when it happened. Right? He doesn't set out to go find trouble, but when it comes, he handles it. He stops the coup. He leads the army. He just does what needs to be done. And his conscience is clear because he's following God's will. And he knows what he's doing, and that's what makes him an all-star. We're still talking about him today. Second, uh, third story was Gideon. You know the story of Gideon. There's a huge army of Midianites that have come and infested the land. The Bible says the army is so big you can't count them all. Not only can you not count the men, you can't count the camels either. Huge, huge, huge army. And an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon when he's hiding. He's down like in a little depression trying to grow some food and hide it from that huge army. 
And the angel of the Lord is dressed like a traveler. And he says, hey, mighty warrior. He's like, shh, we're hiding. No mighty warriors here. Keep it down. Over the next couple of days, the angel's able to convince Gideon that God has called him to defeat this army. So he sends out the call and he gets 32,000 men to show up. I want you to think about 32,000 men showing up at your house. When you go to a Lakers game, how many people are sitting there in a Lakers stadium? 18,000, something like that? 20,000? Okay. So, you know, that's the whole stadium, you know, and half again coming to your house. Talk about a parking problem, right? 32,000 men show up. Of course, the army they're going to face is uncountable. So it doesn't seem like you have very many. And God says, you know, that's too many. So send everybody home that's afraid. 22,000 men leave. He's got 10,000. God says, eh, still too many. So when we go down to drink some water, I'm going to separate him again. And he's left with just 300 men. To go fight an army that we can't even count how many people there are. Furthermore, they don't have any swords. Now, this just, you know, who would do this? Right? Who would do this? Why would you go up against a massive army and you got 300 people and you got torches and trumpets? I'd have gone home with the first 22,000 of them. You're nuts, right? This is crazy talk. But God gives Gideon enough signs and enough um, indications that he's leading this. And so they bring out the torches and blow the trumpets and scare the living daylights out of the army below. God sends panic through them. And they begin just killing anything that moves. And that's mostly each other. For the next three days, they chase this army. The Bible says they killed 122,000 men. And that wasn't all of them. A bunch of them got away. So this was a huge, huge army. Why does Gideon do this? And why does Gideon become an all-star? Gideon wasn't looking to be rich and famous. Gideon wasn't looking for 15 minutes of fame. But when God said, Gideon, i got something I need you to do. Gideon said, okay. Wait, are you sure? <laughs> he did ask for you know, a couple signs. But that was a pretty crazy thing. And that's what makes him an all-star. But that's also what meant he followed his conscience. And he knew his conscience was right. He knew he was going the right way. We talked about Naaman's wife's handmaid. You remember the little girl? We don't even know her name. She's taken slave from Israel by Naaman, who's a great commander in the Syrian army, one of the best. And she's a slave. And Naaman gets leprosy. And as that little slave girl, you might be tempted to go, ha ha, it's what you get for taking me slave. God got you back. But she doesn't do that. She says, you know what? You should go see the prophet in my hometown. He'll take care of that for you. 
Now, I remind you, nobody in the history of the world has been cured by leprosy. There are no documented cases before this of anybody being cured by leprosy or from leprosy. And this little girl says, you should go see the prophet. He'll fix that. Amazing faith. Of course, she scares the Israel king to death (laughs) because the Syrian king says, okay, writes a letter and sends all these gifts to the Israel king, says, I'm sending my top commander to you to be healed by from leprosy. (laughs) He goes, I can't do this. These guys are going to come over here and crush us. Elisha hears about it and says, send him to me. Of course, you know the story that his Elisha's uh, helper goes out to meet him, tells him to go dunk in the river. Naaman's like, you got to be crazy. I'm not dunking in that river. It's stupid. But Naaman had some wise men with him who said, listen, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you'd have done it, right? If he'd asked you to climb the top of that big peak and grab the purple flower and bring it back down, you'd have done it. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's what warriors do. Well, then why not do the simple thing? So he dunks himself in the river seven times and is cured from leprosy. Imagine how that little girl is loved by Naaman and his wife. Imagine how that family worships God afterwards. And they don't know very much about God. Except that he's the God that can cure leprosy. And what a witness that is. She followed her conscience, did the right thing. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we just talked about this story the other week and how they stood up to the king when they're supposed to bow down and worship the the idol. And they said, King, we're not going to bow down. And we don't have to defend ourselves to you. Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Of course, the king gets mad, fires up the furnace. Now, I want you to think about that. That takes a while, right? It's not like your stove where you go, okay, hi. <laughs> right? This took a while. They had to throw fuel in there. There's probably guys on bellows pumping air in there. And a couple hours before this thing gets, and everybody's standing around. Okay, well, we're going to throw those guys in here pretty soon. It's not hot enough yet. More wood, Right? Of course, they throw him in, and the king goes, wait a minute. Didn't we throw in three guys? How come four are walking around in there? And we see what a great thing this does. And these these men, these three guys who follow their conscience and said, listen, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Because their conscience was pointed in the right direction. It had not been seared by people pointing them the other way, even though they lived in a land that didn't worship their God. One last story. Back in the days when our main mode of communication was the telegraph, one time the local office, telegraph office, advertised for a job. A bunch of young men came down to apply for the job. They were filling out their form, their paperwork, you know, what's your social security number and all that stuff. I, I don't know what they had to fill out on paperwork back then, but filling out the paperwork. And 
they're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden, one guy gets up and walks into the office. The other kids are looking at him like, what happened? The boss comes out and says, I'm sorry, the job's filled. And the others are going like, wait, that's not fair. We didn't even get interviewed. And we were here first. That guy, he came after us. What's going on? The boss said, while you were sitting here, the telegraph has been tapping out a message in the background. I said, if you can hear this, and if you can understand this, come into the office. The job is yours. (laughs) Only one could hear it and understand it. Can you hear God's voice and understand it? Do you know when he is talking to you or when it's something else? That's the question. That's the question. We can clean our conscience and get it reset. Hebrews tells us, The book of Hebrews tells us this. It says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? How is your conscience clean? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you repent, when you come to God and say, I'm sorry, get me back on track, he will clean your conscience and reset that for you so that you are able to identify his voice and listen to his voice and you know when he is talking to you and it will be plainly obvious, just like it was to the people we talked about at VBS this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand how to clean our conscience, Lord. Help us to stay on track by spending time with you and meditating on the things that you would have us do. Lord, I don't know what the message is to everybody here today, but I know for a fact that you have a message for everyone. We are all uniquely positioned to play a part in your plan, Lord. Help us to realize that plan to understand that plan, to be a part of that plan. Help us to have our conscience in tune with you, Lord. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downychurch.org. God bless.